Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. So, hey guys, I just want to kind of piggyback off of Pastor Nate's words as last week, Sean and I had the blessing and opportunity to go into uh, all the, the hospitals and the clinics and serve them and minister to the essential workers, the doctors, the nurses, the administrators, the dentists. And some of them had dentist's office there. We took um, a bunch of Jersey Mike lunches there, sandwiches, cookies, uh, 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 snacks or whatever. And uh, we were able to visit each of the sites, talk to the nurses and doctors and bless them. And uh, we thought it was a blessing on our part to go bless them. But when we got there, they were waiting for us and they had signs up. They had all this, say, welcome New Vision Church and, and all those things. And so, you know, here we're going to minister to them and they're ministering to us. And so uh, Sean and I had the opportunity just to share with them, just to encourage them, just appreciate them. And, uh, and they loved it. They were just so thankful for the work. And I know a lot of people gave to that, uh, to bless them for lunches. And I know this week we're going to do the same thing out of the Canton Elementary. And we're going to be also going in and ministering with, in the police department and starting next year, this couple of months, we're doing a, a teacher appreciation and doing the same thing as we minister to the, the teachers in the schools and just really trying to be an encouragement. In this day and age where so many people need hope, they just need a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of affirmation, a little blessings. And that should be coming from the church, from his people. Um, in light of everything that we've seen. Everybody has their opinions about everything. This is not about opinions about it. This is about loving people. Just, just about being present with them in the midst of all that's going on. We're not here to cast stones. We're just here to love people. And, uh, and I think that's what we just want to be known for. We don't be known for what we don't like. We want to be known for what we are. And we're just people that love one another. That's the commandment that God had given us to love our neighbor. And those are our neighbors and our communities. And they served our people in our communities and we wanted to serve them. So keep praying for this week. As I know the school's opening on Pastor Brent and, and, and Pastor Sean and, and Pastor Nate, a lot of them are gonna be in there. Pray for Nate's wife, Martha. She's a teacher, an educator. We have a lot of those in our church that are out there and they're gonna be ministering in, through their jobs and their vocations. And we just wanna keep praying for them as we, they have a large task ahead of them starting this next week as there are a lot of kids and people are going back to school. Amen. Hey, we're gonna continue on in the Gospel of Mark. We're gonna be in Mark chapter 15 as we've been journeying through the Gospel. Um, this evening, I'm calling my message the judgment call. We know that referees and umpires uh, are what run and officiate sports. And they're known because they know the rules, they know the laws, they, they know what needs to be doing. And when it comes to plays, they have to make the judgment call. And they've been trained to make the right call, right, in the game. Even when they're under tremendous pressure, they're called to, to make the right call. I don't know if you watched the, I'm a basketball guy, so I watched the UCLA Gonzaga game the other, other night in the March Madness. For those, I, I, I grew up in LA, so, so I was at UCLA. My brother played football for UCLA. My sister graduated from UCLA. My family's at UCLA, so we watched the game. And it came back down to the last play, I don't know if you saw it, where, where the guy was dribbling down the court. You see they have the ball, and they're gonna make this shot. There's a matter of a few seconds left of the game. He cuts to the left. Gonzaga man stands right out, stands in front of him, and he takes the charge. What a crazy call with a few seconds left. Gonzaga gets the ball, dribbles down to half court, and the guy does a shot and wins the game at the buzzard. Gonzaga, they end up going to March Madness' final game, which they get blown out by a Baylor, which is Baylor's a Christian school. So, um, but it was an amazing game. Those referees had to make the call. It reminds me of the year that the NFL referees um, went on strike. 
And I remember that, that they brought in during that time these amateur referees to fill in for the referees that were on strike. And so they weren't as trained. They, they didn't have the experience. And I remember one game, and the game was really, really close. The team had the ball, and they were going to do a Harold Mary pass, which is when all the receivers go down the air zone, and the, basically the quarterback just chucks the ball. He chucks it far away into the end zone, hoping that one of his receivers would catch it the last minute and win the game. And so that play is being played. The, the quarterback throws the pass. The ball comes, and one referee calls a touchdown, and the other referee calls it incomplete. Somebody messed up the call. Somebody didn't make the right call in that game. Look, at when we come to Mark chapter 15, we have Jesus going to punch his pilot. He goes to the praetorium, which is called the judgment hall. We're going to see that he's going to have to make a judgment. But if you follow the story, he makes a bad call. He makes a bad judgment call. And that's the story we're going to look at tonight, this judgment call, as we look at the story of Jesus going to him. Now, we know that there's a lot happening. We're in the, we've been in the last week of Jesus' life. We know this is early Friday morning, right? He's been through an illegal trial by this time, right? He's been before the Sanhedrin. It's Friday morning. It's been a long night. He's been in the garden. He's gone before Caiaphas already. Now he's coming before Pontius Pilate, right, in the Praetorium. And it's a matter of the hour before, it just only matters the hour before Jesus goes to the cross. And so he comes before his enemy and he stands present before men to fulfill his redemptive purpose. And this is where we are in the 15th chapter of Mark. Let's pray. Father Heaven, we just pray for tonight. We pray for your goodness. We pray for your mercy. We pray for your grace. Lord, we pray that we would have an understanding of all that you've done. Father, all that you've done for us and all that you went through for us on our behalf. Father, as Lord, we know that you've been in a garden praying and you're sweating blood and you're asking your disciples to pray for you, but they couldn't stay up for one hour. And then taken hold by guards, Lord. And you have an interaction with Malchus and you, you cut off his ear and then you heal it. Peter cuts off the ear and you heal it. And then these guards arrest you and take you before Caiaphas and take you before the Sanhedrin. And you're just falsely accused of many things. And yet you're standing in the gap for our behalf. You're, you're living out your redemptive purpose, Lord, for on our behalf because you love us. Father, you went and you to the cross for us to redeem us. But it wasn't an easy pathway to get there. You had to go through the tongues of lying tongues of men and, and physical beatings on our behalf, Lord, to demonstrate that while we are yet sinners, you loved us and died for us. May we understand the story tonight. May we understand the significance of this very specific time when you stand before Pilate, Lord, and you stand before the soldiers, and all that you went before on our behalf, I pray tonight that we get a little glimpse of your love through it all. And that, Father, because of that, our love would be a response because of your love. So we thank you, we praise you, and we honor you, Lord, tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're journeying um, chapter 15 of Mark, verses 1 through 20 tonight. And we're going to be looking at a couple of things. And the first thing is we have to understand that Jesus is present before Pontius Pilate. When you look at verses 1 through five, as we see here, as he stands before Pilate, stands before Caesar, stands before the governor here. And we know that the chief priests are escorting Jesus now to the presence of Pilate because Pilate's going to be the one who can make the judgment call. Pilate's the one who could say, crucify him. Pilate's the one that has that authority. And so they knew that. The Jews knew that they had to bring him to the right person in order to get what their plans had been planning for. They knew they had to get him before 
Pilate. And so if you get to verse one, it says this immediately. In the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and, and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and they led him away and they delivered him to Pilate. What you see, first of all, is the urgency to practice evil. The urgency to practice evil. Sometimes we live in a world that just wants to practice evil. You know that the word immediately is found out is found throughout the Gospel of Mark. It's mentioned many, many times there, right? It's Mark's signature word throughout the Gospel. And what happened is they, they immediately, in the morning, they, these, this group of people, these leaders, these leaders, religious leaders, the priests, the elders, the scribes, the council came to, together and they consulted. Matthew's Gospel said that they plotted, where Mark's Gospel said they consulted. What was going on is they deliberated with each other about what was the next step that what they were going to do with Jesus. Only fulfilling Psalms uh, 22, 2 says, the king of the earth take their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Only fulfilling what was written in the Old Testament. The Jews know that the Romans do their work early in the morning, so they had the afternoon for their leisure time. They knew that they had to make a plan early in the morning because they knew they had to get the ear of the Roman soldiers and the ear of pilots. And so what happens here is they bound them. It says they came together and they plotted and they bound him. They, they tied him up, right? And they led him away. They carried him away. But notice this, that Jesus is not fighting them. Jesus is not defending himself. Jesus is not doing anything. He's actually submitting to the plan of his father. He has a purpose. He, he has a plan. And he's going to allow that plan to manifest. He's going to allow that plan to, to move forward, right? He surrendered to his purpose. He surrendered to You're going to find there that in the Old Testament, it was an, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but you're not going to see that with Jesus. He's yielding himself under the submission of his father to fulfill this plan. So he's yielding himself. He's submitting himself into the authorities of these evil men. And it says that he delivered him, right? They said they bound and they led him away and they delivered him to Pilate. Guess what? They're, they're betraying him into, into Pilate. The word, it's a transaction that's beginning to take place as they pass on Jesus in the presence of Pilate and Jesus submitting under the custody of Pilate. Jesus is giving up his life here for us. He's given us, he's given up his life for us. He's being delivered. When you deliver something, you're, you're giving it to something, right? He's bringing them along and he's delivering them there like they deliver a package. Or these men, these religious leaders are delivering a package before Pilate here this early morning. It's at this very time that they're doing this that something happens to Judas. While this is playing out, something's happening to Judas's life at this time. You only have to go back to Matthew during the same story, chapter 27, verses 3 to 10, where it breaks down what's going on with Judas, right? Judas comes to some remorse about what he's done. He comes to remorse that he had betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We read that earlier in the story. Some, he, he has some regret in his life. You can have a lot of remorse and regret and not have repentance. 
And he had a lot of, he felt bad about what he did. He felt remorse about what he did. But that remorse and regret led him to suicide, <laughs> led him to his own death, to his own demise. And out of his guilt, he, he hung himself. He even tried to give back the 30 pieces of, of silver. I don't want these things anymore. He cast that away, right? And we know that they used that silver, those 30 pieces of silver to buy a potter's field, a field of, of blood. We know that in the scriptures because they couldn't put it back in the treasury because it was blood money. It's filthy money. It was, it was, you know, it was cartel money. It was, it was dirty laundry money is what it was. While this is being, while Jesus is being delivered, we're seeing the deceased body of Judas. We're seeing the death of Judas while Jesus is being delivered. One thing that, one act that he did out of self-centeredness led to his death, but after act of one man, he leads to life. Both had to face that. Guys, the decisions we make can deliver us to either death or life the decisions we make in life. Lead us down the road of life or the road of death. And we see that being played out here. But we see that Jesus is escorted to the praetorium. I want to jump to John chapter 18. Well, I'm going to jump to John in a minute, but John chapter 18, it says this. In verse 20, then they led Jesus to, from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early in the morning, but they themselves did not go to the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Do you catch what's going on here? We're taking them into the hands of Pilate. We're turning them over, but we can't go into the praetorium because we got to keep our hands clean. we got to go to church. we got, we got to go, we got to reserve the Sabbath. we got to observe the religious day. They didn't want to violate the law, but they just violate the law by killing Jesus and plotting against them because what the law says, do not kill but we can't forsake the Sabbath. We can't forsake the law. The hypocrisy of these, this council, the hypocrisy of these priests and religious leaders, right? The praetorium is the judgment hall. That's what it means, the, the judgment hall, the common hall, the common palace, what they were going to bring judgments. And we see here that Jesus is before Pilate in verses 2 to 4. And it's here that Pilate asked a question of Jesus as they brought him in. Look at verse two. It says, then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, it is as you say. I love that. Because right now, Jesus is going to answer the question because later he's going to be silent. And we know that he's going to speak now and he's going to be silent later because God knows when he needs to speak and he knows when he needs to be silent. There's times in our walk, guys, that there's times where we need to speak and there's times we just need to remain silent. This is the time when Jesus is going to speak. In fact, I want you to jump here to John 18, verses 33 to 38, because it's going to give us more details to the conversation that Pilate and Jesus had. I want you to see this for a moment, this conversation, because I think it's very significant of what's going on. We know that Pilate asked Jesus a question about his identity, and Jesus is going to reveal his identity in 33 and 34 of John chapter 18. It says, then Pilate entered the praetorium again, praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you concerning me? So Pilate is asking about the identity of who Jesus is. And I love Jesus, because Jesus always answers a question with a question. Why you want to know? Are you seeking me? Do you really want to know? You know, a lot of times when we 
share the gospel or we evangelize and the people ask you questions, sometimes the greatest way to answer is another question. And Jesus is answering question here. Because a lot of people ask a lot of questions today, but they really don't care about the answer. They'll ask a lot of questions, but they really don't want to hear the answer. Right? And he's trying to get to, do you, are you asking me who I am, but you really want to know? You really want to know my identity? You really want to know who I am? Does this question they're asking come from you? Are you being pressured by somebody or something or some circumstance here? Are you, are you really a seeker of me? Are you just playing politics? Because we see he's going to be playing some politics in a moment. He's going to feel the pressure of the crowd. He's going to feel the pressure of his peers. He's going to feel a lot of pressure coming on in a moment. And because the way Jesus answered, Pilate is offended by Jesus. Look at verses 35 and 36 of John 18. So Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus says, I'm not one of you, right? We know that Pilate actually hated the Jews. He was anti-Semitic. He always spoke, spoke evil of, of the Jews. And he hated the, the Passover. He hated all the ceremonies. He hated all the celebratory things of the Jews because it's part of his job to try to keep peace. It's part of his job. This was the Passover time. Multitudes are people in this city now. It's, it's craziness. He hated that. All the inconvenience and the craziness and all that he had to deal with at that time, it was a headache to him. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. He was from another kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And he later challenges us as believers that we're not of this world either. That we are citizens of heaven. We, 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 are, we are only passing through this world. This world is only temporary. This world will pass away also. These systems will pass over. These leaders will pass away. Everything on this side of heaven is going to pass away because God's going to set up a new heaven and a new earth and he's going to reign. He's going to rule and reign. Sometimes we're so more fixed about what's going on here, we forget about what God has for us over there. Sometimes we're more earthly-minded than we are heavenly-minded. I mean, this whole COVID situation has really challenged us with that thought, with the fear. But Jesus only came to speak about one kingdom. When he started, remember when he started Mark, early on in the first couple of chapters of Mark, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He was already bringing up the idea about this new kingdom, this kingdom that, that would be eternal, this kingdom that we would be a part of. He's speaking about that kingdom. And so he, he talks about another kingdom and we are a part of the citizen of that kingdom because for we are citizens of heaven. But then Pilate wants to engage him a little bit more and John chapter 18, look at 37, 38, he says this. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. Yeah, I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, ah, uh, hears my voice. I love that right there. 
I hope you caught that. You know what John chapter 10 says? That the sheep hear my voice. When, when we proclaim the gospel and we proclaim the truth about the kingdom of God, those who are being called will hear his voice, will discern his voice. Somewhere along the line, you're here because you heard the voice of God. You heard the call of God. You are his sheep and he is our shepherd. And he's telling Pilate here that I am a king, right? And I was born for a purpose. And I came to this world to, for a purpose to bear the truth. Jesus would never say, John 14, 6, for I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. He was the mediator, Paul writes, between God and the Father, between man and God. He is the bridge. That's the truth. He is the mediator. That's the truth. We cannot get into the kingdom unless we go through Jesus. That's the truth. He comes speaking the truth, and everyone who hears me will know that to be true. <laughs> and the sheep will know that to be true. My challenge tonight is, can you hear, can you discern the voice of God or the voice of men? Can you understand that? He's challenging Pilate with this because Pilate just doesn't want to hear the truth. Kind of like that Robert De Niro movie, like, you can't handle the truth. But he's bringing in truth. Why? Because John 8 says the truth what? Well, what? Set you free. The truth will wipe away the lies. So in order to be able to win people over is that we got to keep speaking the truth. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, sanctify them with your truth. My word is truth. A lot of people say, well, this is your truth. This is my truth. No, no, no. There's only one truth. Remember, make sure we remember that. That truth is found in his word. For every man must not must live but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's the truth. That's the truth. Timothy said that Jesus gave a good confession before Pilate. He's given a good testimony before Pilate. Pilate, because you bore witness of the truth. And then verse 38 of John 18, says, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. He asked that question, what is truth? But he wasn't looking for truth, right? Pilate rejected the truth. He doesn't take time to research the truth. He doesn't take time to seek the truth. I think people today do the same thing. We proclaim the truth, but they don't take time to see, is this even truth, right? They don't take time to listen. But in Romans 10, Paul writes that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. We have to keep proclaiming the word of God. Jesus was proclaiming truth to Pilate, hoping that he would draw him into the kingdom. But he shut off his ears. He shut off his heart. You know what the scariest thing about the church could be? today, and actually Hebrews, uh, I think Hebrews talks about this, is that you could be around the word of God and still harden your heart to the word of God. Pharaoh hardened his heart to the word of the Lord. Moses came and proclaimed him truth and Pharaoh hardens his heart. We could be in God's presence. We can gather in the presence of God and worship and sing songs and hear the word and still our hearts could be hard to the things of God. That's scary. 
where you want the, the word of God to soften our hearts and to water our hearts and to cultivate our hearts. But some today will harden their hearts. And we have to be careful of that. Paul, a pilot, comes to a conclusion that he finds no fault in Jesus. He, he makes this judgment regarding Jesus and he wants to throw out the case. I think he went out here now with the hope of appeasing the Jews. I think he's trying to think of a plan because it's a Passover. Let's jump back over to Mark 15. Let's look at that verse three. We're gonna jump back over to that. But the priests continue to accuse. They continue to pressure, right? It says that the chief priests accused them of many things, but he answered nothing. First of all, he's having a conversation with Pilate, but now Jesus puts a zip on his lips. He quiets himself, his voice. You would think that Jesus would want to speak to these religious leaders. You would think Jesus wanted to speak and defend himself and, and represent himself to the chief priest. I mean, if somebody accused you of something, isn't it our nature to say, I didn't do that, that's not the truth? When little kids back battle with each other, you're like, that's a lie, that's not the truth. Isn't that our nature to say that when people speak evils of us to say, no, that's a lie, bro. That's a lie, sis. We, we want to defend ourselves when our name's been slandered. But Jesus doesn't lift up a word. You would think he would come against the chief priests and speak on his behalf as you were making a, a false judgment call. Now, Jesus would, it's very interesting. If you go to the second chapter of John, it said many came to know the Lord, came to faith, they believed. But he, Jesus said this, but I didn't invest myself into them because I knew their hearts. Ow. Wait a minute. What are you saying? What are you, Jesus said this. I want you to hear what he's saying. You came to know Jesus. Go to John chapter He says it. John chapter 2. He says, they came to faith, but he says, I didn't invest myself in them because I knew their hearts. Jesus says, I know the hearts of these scribes. I know the hearts of these Pharisees. I'm not going to invest my time in them. Jesus knew the heart of men. When they healed in Mark chapter 2, when they healed the man on the pallet, what I think is, I knew their hearts. He knows the heart, and so he's going to keep his mouth shut. He's going to go along with the plan. In fact, in Luke's gospel, chapter 23, 2 states that, the, they, that he instigated riots and refused to pay taxes, and he called himself a king. These are the words they accused him of, right? He was a troublemaker. John's gospel says the Jews called him an evildoer. In fact, in John's gospel, they reveal their plans. It's not lawful for us to pay, to put anyone to death. The Jews are, are saying this. The chief priests are saying this. And we only have to go back to Psalms 22, 16. It says, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men have encircled me, and they have pierced my hands and my feet. It's only prophetically being played out, this whole plan of what's going on. And so Pilate clarifies his accusations in four or five. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, do you, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing. So Pilate marveled, like, man, he's not saying anything, right? Jesus is so wise. He's so wise. Isaiah 53 says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
700 years before Jesus came on the scene, the prophet Isaiah speaking how Jesus was going to respond to these evil men. He knows when to speak. He knows when to remain silent. And Pilate was blown away by it. He was marveled by it. May we learn from that. Second thing tonight, Jesus presents, Jesus present before the priest. Look at Mark 6 through 15. We see a Passover custom happening here. Look at 6 through 8. Now as the feast, he was accustomed to release one prisoner to them. Whomever they requested, and there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. So a band of them were together, incarcerated and gaffled up. And they had committed murder, and they had committed murder in the rebellion. And then the multitude, crying out loud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. Now, in the Passover time, it was customary to relieve, to release a prisoner as a sign of grace, right? Here's Barabbas and his, his band of posse of friends, the thugs, the godfather of here of, of the biblical times, right? And it was customary to release a prisoner. And, and I think Pilate said, I'm going to release Jesus. But that's not what the crowd wanted. In fact, the word Barabbas means the son of the father. And his life was about rebellion and death. Jesus, the son of the father, <laughs> And his life is about salvation here. Barabbas had a legacy, and Jesus has a legacy. We're reading about Barabbas' legacy, and we're reading about Jesus' legacy. One was death, and one was life. What legacy are you leaving? What is your life known about? What will people say about you? Will you represent the Heavenly Father? And we see here the priest begin to plead for Barabbas in 9 through 11. But Pilate answered saying, do you want me to release you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd, they're troublemakers, so that he should rather release Barabbas, Barabbas to them. They're instigating a crowd. They're manipulating a crowd. Be careful, people that are manipulators. They manipulate trouble. Stir up trouble. Stir up dissension. Stir up the body. God hates division among the brethren. Pilate has this little bit of hope to release Jesus, but now he finds himself in a sticky situation. I think Pot is very much aware of the reasons why the Jews hated Jesus. It was jealousy. It was jealousy. Jealousy drove Cain to kill Abel. Jealousy drove Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. Jealousy drove men to put Daniel into the lion's den. Jealousy drove Saul to kill David, to try to kill David. Jealousy is what's driving the Jews to kill Jesus. Be careful of the root of jealousy in our own lives. And we know that Pilate falls to the pressure in 12 through 15. 
and we see Pilate's bewilderment. And look at 12 and 13. Pilate answers and said to them again, what then do you want me to do with him whom you call king of the Jews? So they cried again, crucify him. Can you hear the chants? The chants crucify him. This is the end of the week. Early in the week, the people are saying, Hosanna. At the end of the week, they're saying, crucify him. Man, we are so fickle people. Right? One minute we're raising palm branches. The next week we're raising our fist. How easily tides can turn. Right? Pilate's asking, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He's, he's trying to appease this crowd. He's speaking to the crowd. Listen, a leader, a righteous leader, seeks wisdom to do righteous things. It's crazy to get counsel from a riotous crowd. And that's what he's trying to do. What do you want me to do? You know? What do you want me to do with this king of the Jews? You call him a king. And they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. And we see Pilate begins to crumble under pressure. 14 and 15, it says this. Then Pilate said to them, why? What, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more. They're just raising their voices over Pilate's voice. You ever got an argument and you get an argument and another person's raising his voice over your voice? Right? Like I have a loud voice. So when my wife get disagreement, I can raise my vows pretty loud <laughs> to get my point made across. Right? The crowd is raising. So Pilate's trying to come and they're raising their voice over Pilate's voice, right? What evil has he done? But they cried out more. I mean, they, they rose their voices, crucify him. So Pilate wanting to gratify the crowd, wanted to please the crowd, fell under the pressures of the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And they delivered Jesus after he scourged him to be crucified. Hmm. He wanted to please the crowd. Let me tell you something. You can't please anyone, everyone. We're here just to worship God and please God. It's an audience of one. It's always an audience of one. Pilate was in a situation and he made a bad judgment call. A bad judgment call. Bad judgment calls the governor. Pilate made a lot of bad judgment calls in his position. When he tried to fund an aqueduct, it caused riots. He, he put Caesar's picture on the Temple Mount and the Jews hated him for it. And a lot of his compromise caused a lot of trouble. You know, when we compromise our, in our life, when we compromise our convictions that we get from the scriptures, it'll bring a lot of pain and difficulty in our lives. God's truth is to be true in us. And we hold on to those truths. And we walk in those truths. So we can't compromise those truths. Release Barabbas. They released a, a murderer. It's here that, that Pilate tried to wash his hands of that decision. Right? It's here that his wife had a dream and said, don't mess with this guy. Don't get, don't get caught up in the crowd, man. Sometimes husbands, we need to see leaders listen to our wives. They got some spiritual insights. But Pilate wouldn't listen to his wife and he felt the pressures of the world. He felt the pressures from outside. Guys, when we start feeling the 
pressures from outside. That's when we take a retreat and start to seek the Lord in our private solitude in order for him to strengthen us so we can battle the pressures from outside. That we can begin to say, God, how am I going to handle this situation? Lord, I lack wisdom, so I'm praying, as James says, that you would give me wisdom. Give me the wisdom to make the right decision when I feel under pressure. And so he made the bad call. He made the bad judgment call. And he sent him out and Jesus was begin to be flogged. And they flogged him with 39 lashes. A fledgum of the, it was a whip with leather straps attached to the end where these straps were bones and broken glass and lead weights. For those who have watched the Passion of the Christ, you get a picture of a little bit of what that looked like. And when they whipped him, it would grab into his back and then they would pull it and his flesh would be ripped off his body. 39 lashes. And Jesus was fulfilling Isaiah 53, 5, by his, his, by his stripes, we are healed. When we partake of communion in the communion wafer and the matzah that goes with that, you'll notice that there's little holes in the matzah, symbolic of the piercing of God's body, which was broken for us. The brokenness. And by his broken body, by his stripes, we are healed. May we always be broken before the Lord. May we always be humble before the Lord. May we always submit ourselves unto the Lord. That's how we're called to walk. Because if the humble, I will exalt. But the proud, I will cast out. Humility is the key to the kingdom. These religious leaders always want the best seat in the house. They always want to sit at the front of the table, right? No, we sit at the end of the table and allow the guests to call us to the front of the table. <laughs> That's the servant. That's the greatest in the kingdom. A servant is the greatest in the kingdom. That's why when we partake of communion, which we're going to do in a moment, he said to do this remembrance of me when he talks about the body and the blood. That's why he broke bread with the disciples only hours earlier talking about his body and his blood to remember me, to remember what is about to happen. And they visually were going to see it. I'm sure it was imprinted in their hearts and mind what they saw. And then we see here, thirdly, Jesus presented before the soldiers as we close tonight in 16 to 20, that Jesus was led to the slaughter. Look at 16, and then the soldiers led him away into a hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. A whole band of soldiers were called to escort one man. In fact, the garrison would have been 600 soldiers. Man. I don't even think 600 people cover the president. But 600 men covered this one man. Imagine the, the, the power of influence. And that power of influence came by the gift of being with his father. Jesus, may, may our walk with Jesus be so intimate that the things we do on this side of heaven have such great influence, such great influence. Just our presence alone would bring influence. When they looked at the time, they said, we know those men have been with Jesus. May people say that about us. Man, I mean, New Vision family, man, we know they're with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. The influence of Jesus here. And then Jesus was mocked by the soldiers in 17 to 20. 
they dressed him as a king and they look at 17 and they clothed him with purple and they twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. The soldiers are doing, they're mocking him. They're, you want to be a king? We're going to, we'll treat you like a king. Purple was the cloth of royalty. It was a kingly color. By this time, by the time of 39 lashes, by the time he's been through all this, his body is not even recognized. Sucker punched and hair pulled out and his beard pulled out and his body tore it up and his thorns being in and bleeding. And he's already been in the garden where he said he was crying and under stress that capillaries were already breaking before he even got to this point. For the last maybe 24 hours, his body has been under so much stress from the garden to the praetorium to the cross, the stress he must have been under physically. We would have all died. We would have passed out. We wouldn't have made any of it. That's the intensity here. They gave him a crown, symbolic of Caesar's wreath crown, which was made of thorns pressed into his skull, embedded into his skull. You want to be king? We'll make you a king, mocking him. And they begin to worship him and mock him, worship him. Look at verse 18 to 20. And began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And then they struck him on the head with the reed and spat on him. And the bowing and bowing the knee, they worshiped him. And then they had mocked him. And they took a purple off of him and put his clothes on him and let him out to crucify him. They verbally assaulted him. They physically struck him. They disrespected him with false worship. They removed the purple robe and returned his worn, torn clothes. Now imagine this, his body is tore up that you put this clothes on him. You ever had a Band-Aid on a wound that's been there for a little bit and you got to take it off? Imagine a whole robe on his torn up body to be removed, the pain of that, and then to put other clothes onto it. That's what he was going through. That's what he was facing. The judgment call. Jesus is going to take the judgment of his father. The judgment that we should have had. We'll get into that. He's going to the cross. He's going to take the blow. He's going to take the wages of sin. He's making the right call. He's being obedient to his father. He's walking righteously in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the mocking and beatings. Church, there's a time coming where we as a church are going to be tested. There's a time coming where we as a church are going to say, can we endure the same suffering that our Savior suffered? There's a time coming. We've never seen persecution in this country like other countries. We've never seen hardship. We, we think COVID is bad. COVID ain't bad. We think it's bad. But I look at the things in the scriptures, it ain't bad yet. Right. I was talking with a girl, uh, my cousin. She's a cousin who's up in L.A. this weekend. And she's like, oh, this is the, the mark of the beast. Talking, no, this ain't the mark of the beast. This ain't the tribulation period. Go read chapter 6 to 19 in Revelation. Go read it. You'll know what the mark of the, you know, it's the time of troubles, the time of tribulation, the time of Jacob trouble. You, go read that. We're nothing close to that yet. 
some of you are afraid to read it, but just go read it and see what it does. I, I've been reading it. I read it. I read it the last couple of weeks. So we ain't in it. We ain't in it. Guys, as we close this morning and we look at Jesus' life, these final hours of his life before the resurrection three days later, Jesus remained purposeful before Pilate. He had a purpose. Guys, we have to remain purposeful to our call. Number two, Jesus remained poised before the priest. He kept his, he kept his cool. He kept his cool. And lastly, Jesus remained persistent before the soldiers. As much as they did what they did, he persevered. He was persistent about what his call was. Remember, he remained silent during this whole time. And the Bible says in the Hebrews that he went to the cross with all joy. The cross set before him with all joy. Why did he go to the cross with all joy? Because we are his joy. I can only imagine that he was playing our faces to help him endure the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave up his life. That he only gave his only begotten son. Who believe us shall never perish but have eternal life. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you for your love and your goodness and your mercy and your grace, Lord. And Father, we just we just celebrated Easter and we're still looking at the Easter story, Lord. We're look, we're coming to the close of the Passion Week and we're coming to the cross, Lord. We celebrated your death, burial, and resurrection last week. But in some countries, Lord. In some countries, right now in Ethiopia, this is their Easter weekend. <laughs> They're celebrating Easter this weekend, not last weekend. They're on a different calendar than us. And so we pray, Lord, as we're looking at your story, your, your story through the eyes of Mark and possibly even Peter in his writings, Father, we would learn and draw closer to you to understand the depth of your love for us. So I thank you, Lord, for tonight. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining I felt like us. That was Contact us story, or right? learn more um, at our website. But something that stood out to me. See you next time. As